Hi, my friend, Caleb Johnson here, and I have a huge question to ask you real estate investors. How would you rate your level of personal discipline on a scale of one to 10? If your answer is anything less than a 10, I've got something neat for you. And let me tell you, discipline means pushing yourself beyond your comfort zone and doing things that are difficult and sometimes boring. Achieving massive success requires you to do those difficult things. Building your levels of personal discipline is not easy, but it does pay off. In fact, you can't achieve anything significant without discipline. Now, I just released a program for investors where I walk with you as an accountability coach to aid you stay on track so you can push yourself to do the hard things that greatness is going to require of you. Starting is easy. Go to redccapitalgroup.com and click accountability coaching at the top right of the screen. So let's get to work and now to the interview. So Bryce, welcome to the show. Hey, Caleb. Great to be here, brother. And can you go ahead and give our listeners just a, a background story of uh, just really how you started and, and how you got to where you are today? Sure. Yeah. So the name's Bryce Robertson, born and raised in Australia. And I got to near the end of <clears> high school and I realized I'm not going to university. I'm just not interested in it. I didn't believe in the schooling system. I wanted to go out and earn money straight away. But I had no business or entrepreneur influences at the time. So I went out there and I got what I thought was the highest paying job, which was um, as a steel fabricator welder. So I did an apprenticeship. I did like five year apprenticeship in three years. And then I ended up moving out to Western Australia to work in the underground gold mines because that's where you can earn the big bucks doing that kind of work. And so we were working like 12 to 14 hours a day, seven days a week, eight weeks on, one week off. A lot of hard work, um, getting paid by the hour, basically. Uh, I did that for about two years, saved up a little chunk of cash because in my early 20s, I had a dream that I wanted to travel the world for six years. And I did that. Here's how I did it. I took my little chunk of cash and I went over to London, England, where I set up my first base camp. And I call it my base camp because that's where I worked. I would work like eight to 10 hours a day, five to seven days a week for a couple of months at a time, and then take that money and go traveling through Europe. Pretty much until my money ran out, then I'd come back, work again, go to Africa, and I did the whole UK, Europe, and Africa cycle for three years. Wow. working out of that base camp. Then I wanted to change the scenery. So I went from 12 million people in London to 5,000 people in a really small ski village called Fernie in Brit British Columbia, Canada, because I wanted to experience a snowboarding season living in the mountains. But I loved living there so much and I loved that experience so much. And I found out that they had coal mines just down the road. So I ended up staying there for about two years. And I started my own gig out the coal mines. And when I wasn't working, I was firefighting, downhill mountain biking, snowboarding, or enjoying some kind of mountainous activity. And because of that, I didn't really travel that much during that two years, which enabled me to save up a bigger chunk of cash this time. Uh, and then I took a 18 month surfing and scuba diving trip down in Central and South America. And the last six months of that 18 month tour, that's where I met my wife who was a native from California, so naturally I ended up here in the States. And when we ended up here in the States, we made an agreement with each other. We wanted to recreate this type of freedom lifestyle, except number one, we wanted to do it without our money running out. Number two, we wanted to do it with our money growing while we're traveling and having fun and living our life. And so we started looking at three main ways we can make big bucks, and that's owning a business, real estate, and the stock market. I think cryptocurrencies fits in the stock market category. It wasn't really a thing back then. 
So in those three categories, we tried about seven different side hustles, just trying all these different things to see what would stick. Then I realized after a little while, I'm spread thin, I'm spinning plates, I'm having mediocre success, I need to like take a step back and laser focus on one thing. Now at the time, I had about 20 years background in construction and construction management, so I knew real estate was gonna be it. What was I gonna do in real estate? So we looked at mobile home parks, self-storage, multifamily, um, single family, wholesaling, fix and flipping, notes, the whole kit and caboodle. And over and over and over again, mobile home parks kept popping off the page. Massive supply and demand in favor of mobile home park owners, getting to fulfill what I believe is America's number one need in real estate, and that's the need for affordable housing. Um, awesome cash flows, high returns, hardly any competition, excellent tax benefits, I was in. <clears throat> so. When I made that decision, three months later, I put my first mobile home park under contract. However, at the time, I only had, I had a negative net worth, I only had $2,000 in the bank, and I had unseasoned credit because I hadn't been in the States long enough to build up credit. So by force of nature of my circumstances, I had to lean on family and friends to bring in the capital um, to fund that deal, and also negotiated um, uh, basically a private note for the financing through someone's retirement account. And then three months later, got the deal across the finish line. Now, two things happened when I got that deal across the finish line. One, I realized I could do bigger and better things collectively by bringing investors in on the mix. And number two, I realized there was massive demand for investors to join deals where I'm doing all of the heavy lifting. And in our space, we call that syndication. So for the next two and a half years, I rinsed and repeated that syndication model and then created financial freedom. Wow. I love that story, man. That, and I, I can tell you've, you've said that story uh, a few times. And so, so you have some experience there and just such a great story. And, um, you know, there were, there were a couple things that stood out to me and one of them being, you mentioned, you had to decide to get laser focused compared to spinning multiple plates. And how, if you can share with our listeners, how does someone know when to maybe spin plates? Because maybe that's a good thing in wherever situation they are. Or when should they get uh, laser focused more on what they need to do? I would say don't spin plates. And I would say hit laser focus straight out of the gate. And that's a challenging thing because... There's a lot of opportunities, a lot of different ways to make money, a lot of ways to create financial freedom, a lot of business opportunities. But we have to choose something. You think about it energetically, right? Um, if we have 100% of energy to put into something, then wouldn't we have a better success if we put 100% into one thing than if we put 20% into five things? It's kind of a no-brainer, right? When I was doing seven different side hustles, I was putting probably like 15% or something into seven different things. Mm. So no wonder I wasn't having so much success. But then when I put 100% laser focus into mobile home parks, I knew there was gonna be other opportunities that are gonna pop up that are gonna be outside of mobile home parks. All of a sudden, all of a sudden in my life, as soon as I choose to do mobile home parks only, multifamily, single family, all these other opportunities came up and I had to say no to all of them. And that was almost like the universe testing me and going, hey dude, are you really laser focused? Um, and so that's what we have to do. You know, Arnold Schwarzenegger, he's big on this. He, he, the way he describes it is having a plan A. 
And his plan A, he puts 100% of his energy into. He doesn't have a plan B. Anything that he's doing, he's got a plan A. Because if you have a plan B, then whatever percentage of energy you're putting into plan B, you're taking away from plan A. So what I really think is that when we're starting out, that we should choose one thing, and it doesn't have to be perfect. Look, there's so many ways to make money. Just choose that one thing and then go in on it and go deep on it and stick to it and commit to it. Because for the first six months, you're probably not gonna see much of a result, probably likely. It's, you know, as business owners and investors and operators, it's not really until after about two years of business growth in one domain, in one area, in one asset class that we start to really, really see some progress. So it's something you have to like, you have to nurture it and you have to cultivate it. So many people give up too early. So I would say choose one thing and then once you've mastered it and you can replicate it and it's at the point where it's like running by itself automated, at that point, then you can go out and add another different business model or or asset class or investment type and do it like that. But um, way too many people spread themselves too thin and you're gonna get that spread mi mixed results there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Bryce, I'm so glad that you said that because uh, I think when people do start to spread themselves too thin, they can uh, almost get analysis, analysis paralysis as well, and they can think too many different things are going to go on, and, and like you said, getting laser-focused would really aid them in actually achieving their goal, and so, so I love what you said there. And so once you acquired that first property it sounded like you had to take some steps to start scaling into more offerings and larger properties. So what really helps you scale into, into those things? Uh, the first thing was actually mindset. So, you know, I, the first park, the, my first property, it was a 40 space park with a single family home. And it also had a little storage, um, building, fixed to it as well so that was the first deal it was about like six hundred thousand dollars i think i had to raise like two hundred thousand dollars for that deal um when i did that deal i jumped on a phone call very quickly after with a an investor who wanted to like connect with me another operator someone who's involved in the multi-family space and he said to me hey uh why are you doing such small deals now here's me like thinking, hey man, I just did this like cool big deal for my first deal. It's like most people would do a single family home. I did a whole mobile home park. Mm -hmm. But then when he said, why are you doing such small deals? At first, it kind of like rocked me a little bit. And I'm like, wait up, I am doing big deals. And then I just thought, okay. And I thought about it and I thought, okay, let, let's do bigger deals. Like if I can do that, I could easily do something bigger. And so long and short was my next deal was a, a 200 space mobile home park. And it was really just a shift in mindset. And then once I did that shift in mindset, okay, cool. If I'm gonna do 200 space park, what do I have to do? How much capital do I have to raise? You know, what team do I have to build out? What do I have to do? And so it's really just uh, understanding what's involved at the larger things at scale and just going for it. Okay, I love that. Now, that kind of leads into to another question in how can people Right, because you've achieved an amazing thing, being able to attain financial freedom in two and a half years. Now, I think there's a lot of people listening to this that still have a day job 
and they might want to get out of that. And for those people that want to attain financial freedom, how would you recommend they can do that in a short amount of time? Uh, so to clarify, when I was achieving financial freedom during that two and a half years, I mm -hmm. had a full-time job. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I had a full-time job, and basically what I did is I said, my, my wife and I, we both wanted to achieve this goal, right? Um, the mobile home park thing was really my thing. Um, she had her own entrepreneurial endeavors, but we made an agreement that like, hey, we wanna make this happen, and we really wanna make this happen, so let's carve out two nights a week for date night, for fun night, going to concerts, dinner, whatever, and then the rest of the time, when I'm not working, I'm at the gym, or I'm or I'm I'm making this freaking financial freedom thing happen, and that was pretty much. So I was a workaholic through that period, and I spent my time doing that. So another thing that I did while I was creating financial freedom is I, I wasn't out there spending money on all of these things. Literally, I didn't buy clothes at all during that two year, two and a half year period. Um, the only uh, apart from like we did a little bit of travel, uh, like probably two weeks of travel each year. But apart from that, the only other things that we were traveling to was events that were going to take us closer to being more successful in business, um, you know, like courses and events and things like that. And so um, we really didn't spend any money on anything except for our success. That's what we did. And so we managed our time. And we managed our money in a way that we basically put all of our eggs in the basket. We had enough time to keep the marriage good and, and handle that and keep health good. And then everything else went into creating this. So, you know, obviously I've done it. So I'm an example of doing it. A lot of other people have done it in the time frame that I've achieved it. My business partner, he achieved it in about two years of financial freedom. And so it's very possible. But maybe we could do it a little bit slower and maybe you don't want to go as hard as working as hard as I was because I was probably putting effort out there of like, you know, it was easily 60 to 80 hours a week for like two and a half years. So some people might not want to do that. So if you don't want to do that, maybe team up with somebody, spread the weight. They can do half the work. You do half the work. Um, you'll have to split the profits too. And that's obviously something to negotiate. Or maybe just have like a different, a slower time frame, and you know, would it be acceptable if you achieved financial freedom in five years? Um, and I think worst case scenario, if you're going at snail's pace, I think it's very, very attainable to achieve financial freedom in ten years. And if you haven't, then there's there's probably something wrong with the system that you're using. And there's so many different ways to do it, and there's so many different opportunities. And you know, I did it in two and a half years. Some people have done it in one year. You know, it depends on what you're investing in. It depends on your involvement. depends on what the profits look like. Um, but instead of like rushing so much, I think if we just focus on what we need to do and we just have that end goal in place, that's important. The end goal, financial freedom. What is our target number? Do we need to create $5,000 of passive income each month to pay for our monthly living expenses? Does it need to be 6,000? Does it need to be 10,000? If it's 10,000 or more, why are our expenses so high? Can we trim those expenses down and maybe get it down to like $7,000? And then that's a much easier goal to, to attain. And then mm. take a look at, okay, we've got our goal there. We know what our goal is. And then we've talked about choosing our vehicle to get there. Maybe it's mobile home parks. Maybe it's some other type of investment that you want to pursue. And then this is the thing though. 
This is the thing that's going to get people uh, across the finish line of their success to financial freedom or not. What is your big motivating reason why that you're doing this that has nothing to do with money at all? And for me at the time, it was actually, I didn't want that job. I wanted out of that career. I felt like a slave. I didn't feel connected to it. I wanted freedom. That's what I wanted. And so I was actually moving away from something as opposed to moving towards something because financial freedom meant to me, I don't have to do that thing anymore. I don't have to wake up at 4.30, 5.30 in the morning and go clock in and be you know, working by the hour until the end of my days, which was a really daunting concept for me. And I'd already been like 20 years deep in that industry. So I really wanted out of that. Um, so that's what motivated me to like do the work. But what is it for other people? I don't know. Everybody's different. Some people, um, they want to put their kids through you know, school or maybe they want to take care of their parents in older age or maybe they want time freedom. I've found about 70 to 80% of people want their time back. They don't want to be a slave mm -hmm. to, to work. They want to know that they can take the time off to do the things that they want to do because quality of life is much more important to people these days. But the reason I'm mentioning what our, our motivating reason why is, is because one thing I can absolutely guarantee that is going to happen, whether you're an investor, an entrepreneur, a business owner, is that you are going to run into some challenges. And when you run into challenges, the intensity of what your motivating reason why is, is going to determine the intensity of challenges that you can overcome. If you're not clear on that, as soon as the first challenge comes up, you're, you get taken out and you're like, oh, that thing doesn't work. You know, I tried it and then it doesn't work. It works. It's just what's your motivating reason why? So I don't know if I went too much on a sidetrack there, but. No, that was perfect. And that actually stems right into what I wanted to talk about. But before we go there, I love that you said the why, right? It starts with your why. And that was the case for me. You know, my mom had bilateral knee replacements. And so she was out of work for three months. And then she was forced to go back to work, I would say prematurely because her body hadn't healed yet. So I would see her come home from work in tears because she was in so much pain from, you know, from having to be on her feet all day. And, and she just actually could not afford to survive off of her savings for any longer. So for me, that was a motivating factor for me. And, and like you said, I didn't want, I saw what trading my time for money did, and I didn't want that result either. And, and so Bryce, that like I said, that stems into another question of, of challenges. And for you, during that two and a half year process where you, where you were kind of getting financial freedom, what were some of the one or two biggest challenges that you faced? Oh, dude, I did like tons of challenges, man. Um, to go back with what you were saying, I just want to add a little bit of color to what you just said. Because you had a big emotional reason attached to your reason why. And so did I. And I think that that's like, that's the truth. And that's like the power in, in what we have. There was actually two 13 year old girls that their dad was stuck underneath a, a four wheel drive. It was a SUV. And the girls lifted the freaking SUV, 13 year old girls lifted the SUV off their father enough for him to be able to shimmy his way out. Wow. Just because they had such a like burning reason why, because obviously they didn't want to see their dad die, right? So mm -hmm. what 
possible when we have a really strong emotional attachment to our reason why. You can see in that example, if that's possible, it's pretty easy to apply stuff like that to the investing world and think we can, we can um, reasonably attain financial freedom in you know two and a half to five years. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to add that color in there. But some of the challenges that, that we I faced. So you know, I went from uh, raising two hundred thousand dollars to next deal, I had to raise two million dollars. And so that's a pretty big step, you know, especially for someone who came to the country, who didn't know anybody, who didn't have a track record, only just did my first deal. And so that was definitely a challenge was um, raising capital for that second deal at such a large scale compared to where I just what I just did. And I reached a point throughout that investment while we were putting the deal together when I I was about I don't know hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars deep into the deal of money that wasn't even my money, and if the deal didn't go through, I had to pay it back, which was going to put so far behind, you know. So it was kind of like all or nothing. Like I have to make this thing work, Um, and so you know, being in that kind of situation. And obviously, I had a strong motivating reason why. I had another reason why now because I'm not going to like go hundreds of thousands of dollars in the hole backwards the other way. I need to go forwards, um, and so that kind of pressure enabled me to uh, bump up my game a little bit and solve that problem. And so, solved that problem, and um, yeah, solved a lot of problems of even just like managing the properties. You know, my own property management company running into tons of complexities, people burning houses down, uh, people stealing money, all sorts of like, basically my first like two to three deals, just about everything that could possibly go wrong. Mm-hmm. Like there was, we had crackheads running around in, in some of these mobile home parks with they're naked with no clothes on. Um, mm-hmm. That was just like all sorts of mad, crazy things that happened. And so really it's just like, are you in for the ride? And are you, do you have the capabilities to be able to overcome any of these challenges? And since then we've put like all these systems and everything in place. Um, We hardly, you know, have probably 80% of the challenges we used to have don't exist now because there were such pain points when they happened that we put systems in place or put something in place so they don't happen. Or so if they do happen, we can solve them quickly in the future. Mm-hmm. There's been a handful, well, I'd say the majority of successful people that I've studied, they have gone through a period of time where there have there's been a long time where they have not had the success and they've had to go through crap, kind of like how you said, where you had to you weren't chasing naked crackheads around, but there were naked crackheads running around your property and, and all these nuances that you've never experienced. And so I think it's so important that we have to go through trials and a period of time where we really, you know, we're really just learning. That's that learning process. And for you, it sounded like it was really, go ahead. Yeah, I'd love to add some color to that because this is a a big misconception that people have. So the Uh way I like to look at the world is 
we have 50% positive and 50% negative. I didn't say good and bad. That's people's own perceptions. What one person says is bad, another person will say is good. For example, some people, most people, hopefully you and I and most people listening think that robbing a bank is bad, but there's some people out there that think robbing a bank is good. You know, So good and bad, I'm not saying that. I'm saying positive and negative. And we go all the way down to the smallest atom. We've got a balance between positive and negative all the way up to the, to the macro in the universe, the positive and negative charges and black holes and all of these things that happen. So there's, there's a balance between positive and negative. And if positive increases, negative increases. And if negative decreases, positive decreases. And it's always balancing each other out. So the reason I'm mentioning this is to bring this into our life, whether it's a relationship, whether it's business, whether it's investing, whatever it is, we're faced with 50% challenge, 50% reward. And when we get the reward, it's because we conquered the challenge and then another challenge will be thrown at us so that we can get the next reward, so we can get the next challenge, so we can get the next reward. And those who are successful are the ones that understand there's going to be challenges. You're not going to get to a point where all of a sudden challenges are not going to exist. It doesn't work like that. Think about any relationship you've been in that's like a deep relationship or any business owners out there, entrepreneurs know that these challenges keep existing. However, it's kind of like paying a computer game where you finish level one, you understand all of the challenges that were in level one, you get the reward at the end of level one and then you go to level two and then your, your, the quality of your challenges increase. And so if we're up for the challenge and we're up for conquering the challenges, the reason that challenges show up, it's my belief, is that the universe says, I know what your problem is. I know the thing, the challenge that you need to grow into your better version of yourself and to expand your comfort zone and to step into your better self. So here's the challenge you need. And you're gonna keep getting that same challenge over and over and over again until you conquer it. And that's why some people get stuck in life. Some people that get stuck in life have the same kind of quality challenges over and over again, over and over again. Like people that get divorced and divorced and divorced and divorced. It's like because they haven't, they haven't seen the challenge of being like, hey, here's the thing I need to overcome to get to the next level, to get out of that. So I hope that added a little bit of color to, to that concept. Yeah, that was so good. I, I hope all the listeners, they can rewind that the couple minutes that Bryce just said all that, that was so powerful. And Hey guys, if you're enjoying the content of our podcast, but you have additional real estate investing questions, I'm happy to answer those questions for free. Head over to redseacapitalgroup.com and book an appointment with me. Not only am I the host of the show, but I am actively buying and already own properties across the US. So feel free to schedule a time that works best for you. Visit redccapitalgroup.com to book your appointment today. I want to talk a little bit about how during that trial where you said you were almost overextended and if the deal didn't close, you would have been behind substantially. Would Now, if you had to go back, would you do that again? I'd absolutely do it again. And obviously, if I went back, if I had the choice, I would have been better prepared Really, that's mm-hmm. that's where I, I realized like I could have had better preparation. Yeah. 
But okay. yeah, I'd absolutely do it again, of course, man. I would do everything, even like the the things that are seemingly the dumbest mistakes I've ever made in my life. I would absolutely go back and make those make those same choices to get where I am today because where I am right now is freaking amazing, man. Mm-hmm. You know, like the quality of my challenges these days is really freaking like I'm honored at the quality of challenges I have these days. It's like it's freaking exciting. They don't go away, but it's like it's it's uh it's pretty neat. Mm-hmm. The reason I asked that was because I think there's people that would see that risk and they wouldn't want to take it because they might overextend themselves. And would you well I guess how did that prepare you mentally for taking down the next offering? Does does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, it made me much better. It's like, okay, why did I have trouble raising capital for that deal? And it's because I went, uh, my investors hadn't heard from me. Like, I did the first deal, and then I'd been building these investors, and they, I, they, they hadn't really heard from me until I had the deal and I was ready to launch it. And I'm like, hey, you haven't heard from me for a while, and by the way, I've got this like big deal, invest now. And that is for capital raises out there, that is not the way to do it because people need to hear about you constantly. They need to know what you're working on. They need to know when something's coming up soon. Oh, you've got a deal coming up soon. Oh, cool. Let's tell tell me a little bit about the deal. Oh, you can't tell me all about it. You can't talk about the financial part, but hey, oh, that sounds like a pretty cool business. I can't wait until that deal comes out. It's coming out next week. Oh, it's coming out tomorrow. Boom. Now we got the deal. You know, so that's kind of uh, there's a whole bunch of preparation that goes into that, and um, you know, I wasn't really doing that. So it enabled me to like build out systems, have like a an official process on how we launch deals, start way, way, way back here. Um, so by the time we get there, then it's it's a different story. And so now we have the opposite problem. Okay, talking about increasing on the quality of our challenges is now most of our deals for the last two years have been oversubscribing, meaning we're full with investors within the first 24 to 48 hours because we do such a good job at letting people know about it up front and we've built a solid track record and we communicate and we provide a lot of value and education. So now we have a problem of we can't fit all of our investors into these deals, which is another problem. Good problem to have, but that's the problem we're currently solving right now. And what I want to pull out for the listeners and well, what Bryce just said and what that meant to me was that challenge of struggling to raise all that capital on the, on the second offering really gave him, I think one, the uh, wherewithal and understanding that how important it is to have the follow-up communication with your investors and that trial really turned into almost now it's it's turned into a different trial where it's a good trial you know i'd rather have the second trial of you know being oversubscribed in 24 hours compared to not being able to bring all the capital to the closing table um when it's when it's time so i think so that trial really led up to that ultimate success and and just how the, you listeners can take your trials and look at them as opportunities, not as trials, because that's exactly what they are. They are opportunities for you to learn, grow, and get to the next step. 
Absolutely. So Bryce, I think we'll go ahead and start winding down. And before we do, I just want to say thank you so much for being here. I, I've listened to your story before, and it's just such a, a pleasure to speak with you and, and hear about your story in person. So, so thanks for being here. Yeah, my pleasure. Absolutely. So the, the first of the final three questions um, is, if, if you can recommend a book to our listeners, what would that be? <laughs> you know, in the past, I probably would have recommended something that was of business or financial nature. Uh, but honestly, like in my opinion, the thing that we are going to gain from the most in achieving financial freedom, or being an entrepreneur, business owner, investor, is self-development. And I, I have recently come across a book which has been revolutionary for me. Not only just this particular book, but the work of this particular author. The author is Dr. Joe Dispenza, and the book is Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself. And it's basically a hard, honest look. Like all this science is broken out behind it, which really, really helps because it's not just a concept. It's like, hey, here's the concept. Here's all of the science behind it to prove it. Um, the long of the short is is that if you're a human being with a heartbeat, then this book applies to you. It doesn't matter what race, religion, what your diet is. It doesn't matter. Um, we, Our body is literally addicted to certain negative emotions that stops us from freeing up energy to be completely abundant and successful. And, you know, really for me to explain it properly, I'd have to, you know, go off and branch off for a couple of hours. But just read the book and or get the audio book. It's called Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself by Dr. Joe Dispenza. It is absolutely phenomenal. I, I, I've been absolutely dedicated to self-development for the last 10 years. I've spent hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars on my self-development and you know, doing what I can do to get myself to the next level as an individual and step into my best self. And by far, this is the biggest return on investment um, thing to do to really attain that. So I can't speak highly enough of it. Yeah, that sounds like a great book. I've got to go pick that up for myself. And the second question is, if people want to learn more about you and maybe learn a, uh, about investing with you, where's the best place for them to do that at? Sure, yeah. Come to uh, investcultivate.com. And cultivate is spelt with the number eight. So it's invest, C-U-L-T-I-V, the number eight, dot com. Mm. And Bryce, if you can share one final thing with our listeners that they can take away from today's show, what would that be? Can I make it kind of like two parts? Yeah. Go ahead. Okay, the first part, super quick. I think self-development is more important than any of the rest of the stuff. Whether you want to be a multifamily apartment investor, single-family home fix and flip, what you want to be a crypto investor, whatever you want to do, the self-development piece is the main piece. It's at least 80% of the piece. So I want to start with that. And then the second part to it, I would say, is that... Uh, just like take the first step, like figure out what it is that you want to invest in, know enough about that investment, find somebody who's experienced in that investment model or whatever business venture or whatever it is that you're going for that can look over your shoulder, see the red flags and just kind of like help you steer the ship and just go for it, take the first step. Like, cause if I go back and I actually think about my first deal, negative net worth, $2,000 in the bank, unseasoned credit, I have to raise $200,000, do due diligence, get a loan, like 
it would have blown my mind if I was like trying to figure out how I'm going to do all of that at once. But the first step was put it under contract. There was nothing if I didn't have it under contract. Then once I had it under contract, it's like, whoa, got to do due diligence. So then I did the due diligence. Hey, this is a deal. What's the next step? Got to raise investor capital. Whoa, what's the next step? Got to get a loan. And so I just did one step at the time. And so break it down into chunks. If too many people get analysis paralysis. They think, oh, I need to know everything. I want to master everything. Like those people aren't anywhere near as successful as people that just go out there, figure out what they need to do and take the first step and figure it out along the way and just have someone looking over your shoulder to make sure that you're not doing anything stupid. Mm. I'm so glad you said that. And that was so powerful. Well, Bryce, thank you again for being here, and uh, I enjoyed our conversation. And, and to the listeners, I uh, really hope you check out Bryce. His content's amazing, and we'll catch you next time. Thank you. Appreciate Bye. it. It's time to grab your victory. Find us on the web at redseacapitalgroup.com and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Red Sea Capital Group.